Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This week we have Erica on the pod. And Erica can be found at the Corker Co. Skill Studio for a moment of meditation if you just need to hear a beautiful voice take you to a place that says you are enough and you can be right here, right now. We discovered Erica through a relationship with yoga and Lululemon, and Erica speaks to us of what it is like to show up in a space where there's no one else like you. And sometimes we think that in 2021, this is a conversation that doesn't need to be had. And I couldn't disagree more. It most certainly needs to be had because we are still in a space that places and spaces can look rather vanilla. I am so grateful that Erica has chosen to not only step onto her own mat, but step into the front of a room, lead yoga practices and meditation work for us all to see that we belong. And if you listen right to the end, Erica shares a few juicy goals that I think are worth listening to. I hope you enjoyed this one. Hey, Erica, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, you are no stranger to the world of the Corker Co. Sess raves about you. We have a beautiful meditation from you on the Skill Studio. And it was in hearing your perspective of what's going on in the world right now as Cecily launched her journal that really captivated me. And so here we are, summer's beginning. Things are definitely shifting in the world of the pandemic, you know, though we'll never forget this last year and time in life. So I want to riff on what is yoga and what is meditation for you. I want to riff on how you see the world. And then I did get a specific question to ask you around your parents and your family. So can we go there? Absolutely. Let's do it. Thank you so much for having me. Seth is great. And I'm super honored that I was able to help bring like a meditation to the community. So thank you. Oh gosh. Yes. Thank you. Let's start there. The world of yoga. What was your journey to yoga? Yeah. So when it comes to yoga, I would say I've always been an athlete, like into sports, et cetera. And for me, initially yoga started off as stretching, you know, it was that thing that was the added bonus to running or lifting weights or a high intensity workout. And when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, I lived there. I'm in the U S I lived there for 10 years. I really started exploring more deeply with yoga, Ashtanga being the very first practice. And I had the curiosity of wanting to teach, although Ashtanga wasn't a practice that I ended up loving that worked the most for me. A vinyasa is more of that style. I really began thinking about this practice is so beautiful and there's so much peace in it. And I feel something and I'm not exactly what it, sure what it is. And when I moved to New York, I began exploring it deeply as well with Bikram and other different practices of meditation. Again, that teaching piece on the back of my mind. And, you know, I, I didn't really know why and why I didn't think that I could teach yoga. And when I moved back to Columbus, I had discovered Baptist yoga with the Baptist affiliate studio here. And it sounds crazy with all my moves, but upon moving to Minneapolis, I went into a studio and a mentor who I look up to, Chelsea Jackson, I had lunch with her 
And we were talking about, you know, just like teaching why she teaches and her story is really what brought tears to my eyes where she shared that, you know, when she was getting her doctorate in yoga studies, teaching yoga, she didn't see individuals who looked like her as a black woman, as black. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even realize that. And professionally by day, I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader. And I speak about representation all the time. And I didn't even realize that I was so below this consciousness of even knowing that that was the barrier for me. Like, even though it was in the back of my mind, I didn't see it as being something that was possible per se, almost not possible, like permission, because I didn't see individuals who looked like me. And when she offered her story, that gave me permission. And so when I was in Minneapolis, I signed up for yoga teacher training because, you know, something that she shared is like, if you really want the landscape of this to change, you have to be able to do it yourself. And, and I've always been really gun shy about being like a poster child, or, you know, it's like the introvert part of myself or being out there in that way. And you know, as I looked around in my community within Minneapolis at the time when I first moved there, I didn't see any brown or black yoga teachers or meditation teachers. Like even when you think about meditation, not good or bad, it's there's a small pool of diversity. And so that's really what's led me into teaching and to being open and speaking about it and being more confident with bringing that to the conversation as well. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing that because we know this and I feel like we speak about it perhaps in a work setting more often of, of the requirement of having diverse teams to provide accessibility for people to see themselves like that leader, like that person, they can do that. And it feels like in the world of sports, sometimes it comes up, you know, we want to see someone go first and then we think we can be like that. And yet yoga is neither a corporate setting per se, nor I would not consider it sport as much as a way of life or a practice. And to know that it's possible and to know we have people like you that will pave the way when you look around the studio, when you might not see many people that look like you, now you're the teacher and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, I loved what you talked about with the business element, which is what inspired me to found the yoga coalition. And it's this tiny little grassroots that's slow and mature to grow. And, you know, with my lens of really integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion into businesses, yoga is over a billion dollar business in the U S hold the phone. Then I'm wrong. And you're right. And this billion dollar business called yoga needs diversity. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, right. Exactly. So when you get to that part, there's a responsibility to integrate it, you know, and it, and I'm not knocking or like being tried about yoga studio owners or whatever, but it's, it's essential. It's critical. Number one, we've experienced so much over the past year and we need more individuals that look like the community that are going to be able to bring the practices and techniques of this practice to our communities and to the world Mm -hmm. and doing it with cultural appropriation, you know, like as well, like doing it appropriately as well is extremely important, particularly meditation has been the saving grace for me over the last year. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what I would have done without some of the tools and practices that I would have gotten from yoga. And I know that 
I'm privileged in that way to be able to have those tools and those practices and not many people have them. Mm -hmm. And so when we really think about the health disparities and the mental health disparities and wellness around brown and black communities, it's critical and it's essential. Something that's really important to me is servant leadership that to really serve our community, we have to get out of the four walls of the studio and go into the communities and create equitable access for individuals that want to number one, teach this practice um, and making it accessible for them to teach this to their communities and heal. And I've had the opportunity of going to Kenya twice to help support leading a yoga teacher training program with Africa Yoga Project and to see how it's healed and transformed so many lives in a country that is has less privileges than we'll ever see, you know, in parts of the world and within the U.S. or within Canada. I know that this practice is what will unite and bring peace and love because we will understand how to cultivate love for ourselves and how we view ourselves as in how we treat others. And really that's what can help heal. It's not like the love, like, oh, we're love and we're all one, not, not like that, but it's like, we can really begin to heal ourselves from the inside out and be one with another without our triggers and all of our things, you know, our thorns that we wear, we can live with them and still be with each other and not have them be disturbed and that keep us separate. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that this practice um, is super important um, to be in those spaces. Yeah. Gosh, well, I love that you went to thorns because I think, you know, we all obviously have our thorns, some more than others, and some are pricklier than others and want to keep us further away. But the last year certainly created a space where we were apart and there wasn't a lot of travel or, you know, from a yoga perspective and the ability to be in studios in the same way. And of course that trickled out into many other areas of our life. Yet I really appreciate your perspective on what the last year has been about and about the way you view the new future. And I'm wondering if you can riff a little bit on how you see the world today. As you know, being in Canada, you are still in lockdown. And, you know, with the pandemic, you know, while in the U.S., like, it feels like we're coming out of it. The world is still in it. And I keep hearing over and over, I've been in inquiry about this where it's like, oh, things are feeling like it's going back to normal. Mm. Things, no, things can't go back to normal because what the pandemic taught us is that we weren't operating in a healthy manner. We were overly taxed. We were overly committed. We were not treating our earth and our environment well. It took a pandemic for us all to pause, to get quiet, to be still. I mean, now that we're open, I can feel pricklies in my skin of like schedules filling up and then demand. And it's kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety thinking about it. And I'm like, whoa, my body has been so conditioned to be in this rest mode. So I think the possibility that I have with the future, I mean, what I dream of is that we're more kinder and more tender. Mm -hmm. Tender is the word that really sticks out to me after we've experienced this collective grief of loss, that we can be more tender with people's hearts. Mm. We can be more tender in our conversations and really begin seeing the world through others' eyes and not through our own. 
because I'm experiencing this a little bit now in the US, it's like around polarization around the vaccine, who's vaccinated and who's not. And I always have to pause and like, look at the perspective of others through their own eyes and putting other people first, asking more curious questions. And then we're able to move in this world that is more tender, more kinder, more forgiving, more like grace, like where we're just allowing people to mess up. We're allowing people to fail forward and we're allowing them to be in that a little bit and compassionately sharing how it impacts us. And then from there, being able to like move forward in a different way. Mm. It's a whole new way of being or not a whole new way. It's an evolved new way of being. Mm. And that's what I, I want possible for the future. So there's no going back to normal. It's going back to an evolved new normal that we get to create. Yeah. It's not even going back. It's just, we go forward to. Yeah. We go forward. Yeah. Forward. Yes. I like that better. Like let's go forward. Yeah. Like there's no rewind on our cassette player anymore. You know, that's of the past. Yeah. I mean, your perspective is so beautiful and sage and important for us to remember that I think this is both of ourselves and of our people. So it's tender of our own hearts and tender of our community, whether they're strangers or not. And it's forgiveness for ourselves and forgiveness for those with us or you know, within our world. And when I think of the collective, I think of those closest to us and those would be parents. And I hear that you have a special relationship with your family. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing about that. Yeah. You know, my family, it's like the most imperfect family, right? You know, it's, and I'm really grateful that, you know, my parents have been together for, they just celebrated their 40th anniversary and they've been together for like ever. Like what's so special about them is that, and like watching it is they've always been super transparent. Like at some points in my age, I thought it was like dysfunctional and it's not, they were just always so transparent and like being able to see how they disagreed and how they argued and what they always returned back to was love and their commitment to each other. I'm sure I wasn't my siblings. I have two siblings. Like we weren't the easiest bunch to grow up. We were in different stages of our lives. And I always loved the test of the waters and the boundaries because my parents did a really great job of of a lot, you know, they, they're from Washington, DC and, and transplanted to Nebraska and growing up as two black couples in a predominantly white state in the seventies. And they did the best that they could. And so they allowed us to have this duality of culture and it really inspired us to seek the edges and didn't really create any, yeah, they created boundaries for us, like don't get arrested or go to jail or anything, but they literally allowed us to be independent people. And I took that level of independence to the nth degree. And I always like to think back to my mom, it's probably payback that she like did for her mother. Um, And my mom's one of five women. So what's really special about it is that we were so imperfect and we were instilled from our parents that it always comes back to the root of family and love that my sister and brother and siblings, we drove each other crazy. We still drive each other nuts. I'm the oldest of the three and we know that it's from a good place 
and that we're committed to like being siblings and we're committed to being children and we're committed to being aunts and uncles. And so it all is in the foundation of love Mm. and sticking to that. And without that, then why are we even family? Like that's what my dad would always just say. And so I really appreciate that. I appreciate to see the imperfections. I appreciate the like growing that I've had to do to like, how do I coexist and live within my family? Cause when you become an adult, you're just like, Whoa, okay. I understand the family dynamics and being able to be a grace in that and knowing that the bond and the root and the blood of it is like knowing this is family. And I'm really grateful for my grandparents that instilled that in both of my parents. They learned that from their parents and their siblings. And, um, it was really great to experience that. And with, even with my extended family, we're really close and have such a really special bond amongst cousins. And, you know, that's really what gets us through a lot of things in the tyrant of the world. So I'm really grateful, um, of having such a grounded family upbringing where it's very rare that you do see two parents that you know, where they're not divorced or whatnot. And so I don't take that for granted. And I recognize that, you know, when it comes to privilege and family dynamic, that is something that I do have Mm -hmm. um, that I appreciate now more my older age. Yeah, fair enough. That's really special. I do want to riff on one other topic, which I know that you are part of the Lululemon extended family. And as were Sess and I once upon a time and a foundational principle, if you will, from Lululemon was all around setting goals. And as we are going forward, creating our new normal, I'm wondering if you have a few goals that you'd be up for sharing with us. And I want you to know the reason I ask this question is because just as you said that there were people that you wanted to see doing things for you to see what was possible. I think there's something really powerful about hearing goals for other people to know what is possible for them as well. And so I asked the question because I care deeply about your own and as a gateway, as a lighthouse for others to be setting goals into this new normal. So I'm currently in the light year coaching training program. And so we're working on our goals right now. And so, you know, it's interesting to reset them in like this in an evolved way. And I would say the goals that I have right now are some that I'm trying to figure out like how to measure them. And the first goal that I have for myself is to commit to daily rituals that reinforce purpose and my own self-love and self-worth. And that is like the first goal. The second goal that I have for myself is to deepen the relationships that I have with individuals that are close to me. I mean, I'm with friends, with family, because that's so much of what I learned that was removed last year that is super important to me as a core value of mine. And another goal is to keep my drishti on a loving partner. And that is also something that is so important because over the last year as well, there's been a huge inquiry about being single and what that's like in our adult years and brought a lot of reflection about who I dated in the past and what didn't work for me. And now authentically knowing who it is that I want to call into that 
possibility of world to have like a loving conscious partner. And so that is a goal of mine is to remain in that drishti and not to get diverted by the squirrels of anyone that's below the line of what that is for me. Yes. I mean, I would love if this podcast could become a dating app. But <laughs> become a dating app people in this moment in time Erica's single I don't know how oh my gosh well it's funny because a lot of my girlfriends are talking about it right now yeah. like because it, it for a whole year it's been not happening and so yeah. it's I was embarrassed to talk about that at first and I'm like why am I embarrassed to talk about this you know like I guess I'm I'm blocking that I'm blocking part of that goal and what I know is like if people are on dating apps, I know people that have met on dating apps, that's great. It's not good for my soul and it's not good for my spirit. And so I need to be able to openly talk about it before I made it sound like a place of desperation. And it's like, no, no I would share this goal just like I would if I was running like a half marathon. So why am I, you know, blocking this? Love. Yeah. I wish we would talk about sex, love, and money more often. And absolutely nothing wrong with craving, wanting, desiring love and partnership. Yes. And in the same vein, there are people that are single and there are people that are in terrible relationships. And for some reason, we don't want to talk about that. We just pretend to be neutral about no relationships come from both sides. And it's so important. I love that you brought it up. Steph, like I've been ruminating almost in a podcast about it, like the new sex in the city and modern day world. Cause you're so right. It's something that needs to be discussed. And I think it particularly as women and those who identify as women, especially if you're like, we've taught this generation of women, like our, I don't know how old you are, like this age of generation of women to be independent and Mm -hmm. to be free. And I think we went to the far extreme where then it seems like if you want to call in a partner that it's almost like a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. and I see my girlfriends experiencing that of like then it feels like you're needy or like incapable Mm -hmm. and you can be an independence in women and still embrace the femininity of the feminine side of yourself right and like that is a side of me that is so strong and it's so denied because of like societal expectations of what it looks like and I can't silence it so yes yes you cannot silence the beauty in partnership that's amazing thank you for sharing that we wrap every podcast with the same question and that is what is currently making your heart beat faster Erica currently it is the small thing it is like summer is coming the sun is shining there's warm weather there's like this natural vitality and growth shedding of layers. Oh, this is my favorite season. So right now, like that's what's making my heart beat faster. Honestly, longer days, daylight, walking outside, seeing flowers blooming. That's what makes my heart beat faster. Amazing. I love it. I think the summer is a beautiful time for things to grow partners love a new way forward and I'm really really grateful for your time thank you so much 